Our first reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 16 through 21. Paul writes, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. And from Matthew chapter 5, our gospel lesson. Verses 16 through 21. I'm sorry, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The gospel of Christ. That is a subdued thanks be to God, appropriately as we read of those even now today who are being persecuted for righteousness sake out of their obedience to the gospel and our brother Adrian DeVisser has lived in a part of the world where he has seen that happen. Adrian, thank you for being with us. I am so delighted to be here. Just thrilled that your church would invite me to speak to you on a historic occasion like this. I travel perhaps half the world to be here. And my prayer, I have prayed for you and, your ch and our churches are praying for you. And our prayer is that God will minister to you and encourage you in your faith, in, his, in your walk with him. That God will empower you to be the witness in this world that God will lead you to be the salt and the light of the nations. My prayer is that God's presence will rest on you and you will truly be agents of change in the world that we lived in. I listened to all the sermons preached by Reverend John for the last few sermons because I want to get familiar with your church, what you believe. And every time I listened to the sermons, I was so thrilled, so excited, 
to see a church that is committed to missions, believes in missions, because this is becoming so rare in the world that we are living in. I was committed to, I was thrilled to hear the sermons preached because of your commitment to believe that salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. In preparation for my coming here, I talked to some of my friends in the United States, asking them to pray as I speak here. And many of them wrote back and said, you're going to one of the best churches. You have a great reputation among the evangelicals in this country. And I want to say I use the word evangelicals in the same context that Reverend John used it in one of his sermons, in his recent sermons. Yesterday morning, your missions pastor, Pierce, brought me here, talked about your church. Listening to him was absolute delight for me, just to see someone who believes in missions, who is committed to missions, you have a great church. I was thrilled to just sit here and worship and watch what was happening here. You have a blessed church, and I'm thrilled to be associated with you on this day. I serve in Sri Lanka, as Pastor John mentioned. I lead a, lead a church planting movement called Kithu Savana. I believe God called me to reach the unreached. So our church planting movement plants churches mainly among the Buddhists, Muslims, and Hindus. I have done this for the last 38 years, serving in my own nation. And then through the Ministry of Asian Access, involved in leadership development across the Asian countries. By now, you would have noticed that I have an accent. So let me tell you a story. A few years ago, I was invited by the Amish community to preach. I'd never been to an Amish community. So I was so thrilled and delighted to be there. When I went there, of course, I was pretty nervous when I saw them arriving in their buggies and them getting together, a couple of hundred people. And so when a preacher like me get excited we generally look for what we call an encouraging corner. Someone who will smile, someone who will be very inviting, someone who will nod. So I hope he will smile. I hope he will nod. And so as I looked across this group, I saw an elderly gentleman. He was very inviting. He would smile. He would nod. So every time I, whenever I was emphasize the point, I would look at him and he would smile. I was thrilled. I preached for about 30 minutes and at the end of the sermon I thought I need to go and thank him for helping me to preach. So I walked towards him with my hand outstretched before I could say some, anything. This is what he said. What language did you speak? Let me tell you that I speak English today. <laughs> but I obviously have to speak English with my own accent. We are all prisoners of our own cultures, aren't we? I can't try to speak like your pastor would, but it'll be funny. So I will keep to my own original Sri Lankan accent. But there's something that you might have to do. 
you might have to pay close attention to what I have to say. It's very interesting for me to note that in the book of Acts, in verse five, 4 and 5, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is after the death and the resurrection prior to the ascension. Wait for the gift which the Father promised. But as you read through the text, it seems to me that the apostles' response was this, okay, okay, Jesus, that's great. But will you answer an important question for us? So in verse 6, they pose a question back again to Jesus. So they pose the question in 6, they said, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? It seems to me that they followed Christ, but they missed the point. They lived with him, listened to all the great sermons, saw all the great miracles, saw him die, experienced the resurrection, but missed the purpose of his life and death on the cross. It seems to me their utmost priority was the reestablishment of the Jewish state. Amazingly, Jesus redirects their thinking in verses 7 and 8. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think this was very confusing for the apostles. They have followed Christ with the purpose that he was going to establish a state. Perhaps they thought, Jesus, why go to Jerusalem? That's the headquarters that killed the prophets and killed you. Why go to Judea, Jesus? That's where Judas came from. That's the guy who betrayed you. Why go to Judea? Why go to Samaria? They've always been hostile towards us. They're not going to be nice to us now. The ends of the earth. Lord, why go to the ends of the earth? That's where the unspiritual people live. The ungodly live. Ladies and gentlemen, the inbuilt prejudices prevented them from seeing the glory of the blessed gospel. Then we get on to Acts chapter 2. There is a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They receive a new boldness. People are getting saved. Miracles are happening. This is the best we had since we followed Jesus. They've enjoyed the presence of God. 
They were involved in holy activity. For the first time, they were useful to the kingdom. But they have missed the purpose of the cross yet. I'm amazed that they missed the very purpose. Paul commenting in the passage that we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I am a new creation. I am forgiven, accepted by the Lord himself. But I am accepted, forgiven, but I am commissioned to be an ambassador of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I live in a country and in a context I minister, people are looking to be forgiven. The Hindus will starve them to death. The Buddhists will deny all pleasures of life to attain nirvana or salvation. But there is no hope for them. But for us, the gospel has brought us hope, but the gospel has also brought upon us the responsibility to be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. It is said that they never understood the gospel. The Holy Spirit has come upon them, but they are still continuing to minister only in Jerusalem. And I'm amazed as I read through the book of Acts, I find that God had used four divine acts to push them to take on their responsibility of preaching the gospel to the rest of the world. So in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, God initiates a persecution. It was this persecution that caused the believers to move out of Jerusalem for the first time. So let me read it. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 onwards. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that day, please note, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They were scattered. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. This was the first time they moved out of Jerusalem. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Spirits came out of many, and in many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So let me highlight, there was persecution, those who were scattered preached the word, miraculous signs, 
and wonders took place. People were delivered from the demonic. Many were healed. Now, ladies and gentlemen, can I say this? The exact, what we read here, is happening in the mission field today. Almost the exact replica of it. If we miss this, we will be very discouraged with what is happening around us. But if, if we recognize that God is doing the same thing among us again, we will be able to partner with him and to see, because he is seated on the throne and is orchestrating the human activity, setting his own kingdom. Persecution. The Center for Study for Global Christianity in the United States, I'm quoting from your country, estimates that 100,000 Christians now die every year. That is, 11 every hour. Pope Francis recently made this comment. The 21st century has seen more Christians under siege for their faith than during the times of the early church. There are many martyrs today in the church. Many persecuted Christians at the Pope during a mass in honor of the Christian martyrs who were killed under the Roman Emperor Nero. I come from a part of the world where persecution of Christians is a norm. Eleven every hour around the world. There was a young couple who felt God called them to minister in the northern part of India. They moved in there. They were warned. They were told that they are not wanted. But they continued to preach that Christ, the uniqueness of Christ, that salvation is to Christ and Christ alone. One day, middle of the night, the family was attacked. This young man, his wife, and the baby. And they said, we warned you. We said, we don't need you here. And they stabbed the husband to death while the wife watched him be killed. And then they turned to the wife and said, your husband is no more. It's time for you to renounce your Christianity, become one of us again. If not, your child will die. The frightened wife just continued to look and they grabbed the child and dashed him on the ground and he was dead. Alone, she was now facing this angry, hostile, murderous community. They gang-raped her and left her to be dead, but she didn't die. She was taken down to Chennai, which was the headquarters for that organization. She recovered and the leaders met with her. After ministering to her, they asked her, what, how can we help you now? She said, the only help I need I want you to send me back to that mission station. 
People are dying for their faith. Persecution has become a norm. My own organization, my own church planting movement, two of our churches were burnt down, and one of our educational centers was burnt down. And let me tell you about the recent one, which was two months ago, one of our churches was burned down. A new family from a Buddhist community, they came for a service when I was preaching in one of our rural churches. And they came and they said, the wife is demon-possessed. And I hope you will listen to me carefully. Because when I come to sometimes the western part of the world, when I talk about the demonic, people say, that's not happening now. We are an enlightened community. And in the middle of the service, she began to indicate signs of demon possession, violent behavior, screaming, shouting. We just went close to her and we prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she was delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying this to draw attention to what we did, but I'm saying this to draw attention to the reality that God has empowered every single person over the powers of darkness. She was delivered. They have spent all of their money looking for deliverance for months and months and years. So they go back to their community and share this truth. People began to be saved. He's not an ordained minister, just an ordinary human being whose wife was demon-possessed. And they are preaching the gospel. And people began to come to Christ, one after the other. Soon, within a couple of weeks, there were about 50 people worshipping completely from another religion. The community, the religious leaders of the community warned them. The persecution began. The shops stopped selling things to them. They couldn't buy anything. Taxis wouldn't come to pick them up. They were all by themselves. And one night, suddenly, two months ago, a gang of about 200 people came and attacked the church and destroyed the church. I called them that same night. Asked them, how can I help? They said, don't worry, Pastor. We don't have a building. We don't have a chapel to worship. But tomorrow is Sunday. We will meet under a tree and we will worship God. I'm amazed. In the midst of persecution, there is the presence of God that comes over the community of people who are persecuted. You remember the story of Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego in the book of Daniel? You remember how Nebuchadnezzar was so angry that they wouldn't bow down to his statue? You remember how he wanted the furnace heated seven times more? You remember he called the strongest possible people to bind them? You remember as they went to cast them into that furnace, some of them got killed because the furnace was so hot? You remember all of that? Then you remember Nebuchadnezzar gets up and he says, Didn't we put three guys? How come there is four? That is the secret when a church is under persecution. When the church is under persecution, 
There is that presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God rests upon the church. It rests upon the people and gives them courage and boldness. We have seen a tremendous amount of persecution, but we have seen a tremendous amount of church growth. Senior Pakistani Christian leaders tells us there is a conversion explosion going on in their country. There are now an estimated 2.5 million to 3 million born-again Pakistani believers worshiping Jesus Christ. Whole towns and villages along the Afghan border are converting to Christ. I was in the Middle East a couple of, just a, last month, and I was amazed to see what the church of Middle East is going through. But I was also amazed to see the revival that is among them. It is amazing. But ladies and gentlemen, now let me say something, because I love your country. I was a student in this country. I have many friends in this country. And after my own country, if there is a country that I love, that is your country. I'm glad that your church in this country is protected. But I'm concerned that it's also robbing the church of its spiritual vitality. In Matthew, the passage that we read, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The word blessed means divine joy and perfect happiness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Divine joy and perfect happiness. Blessed implies an inner satisfaction and sufficiency that does not depend on the outward circumstances for happiness. One of my concerns is that I feel when I travel around the world, the church wrongly presents blessings and prosperity as the only inevitable blessings that come from a walk with God. I believe God blesses us, but we are battling powers of darkness. This is not our home. I don't think we have equipped our people to face persecution. I am grieved that the church has given a false assurance to people. Everything is going to be fine. You are fine. I don't think anywhere in the scriptures that assurance has been given to us. The assurance that is given to us is, I will be with you to the ends of time. We have presented a soft gospel. We have not prepared our people to face persecution. And we are paying the price for a soft gospel that we have preached. 
The next thing I see in that passage is that they went through persecution and then there were signs and wonders. And I hope I will not offend you by presenting some of the facts that is happening around the world today. When I was in Egypt, what I saw was just tremendous. So let me tell you two stories, one from Egypt and one from my own country. And I'm looking at the clock. I'm an Asian preacher. We are used to preach for hours. But I know that you are not going to allow me to do that, so I better watch. There was a young boy that met with an accident in Egypt. His stomach was damaged, and he was brought into the hospital. And the doctors performed the surgery, took some of his parts out, but he didn't make it. So the doctor said, tell these families to come and take his body because they have to bury him within a certain time. Well, the doctor kept, continued to do his sur other surgeries. And then after about four or five hours when he was going out, he suddenly felt somebody touch him and say, go back. He looked around, there was no one. Well, he thought, my imagination, so he started walking again. Again, somebody touched and said, go back. Well, he thought he would go back. When he went there, the dead boy was alive. And the doctor was surprised. And the doctor is talking to this guy. This guy is saying, I don't know what happened, but I went somewhere and I saw myself playing an instrument and singing some things. And here I am, I woke up. Doctor said, well, I don't understand any of these things. Well, anyway, you are discharged. <laughs> he goes back. He goes looking for that musical instrument, and he finds the instrument to be at a piano accordion. You know that piano accordions? He picked that up, and he started playing, and amazingly, he knew what he was doing. And he started singing songs, and apparently these were all gospel songs. He began to sing. Ladies and gentlemen, he's going from village to village today, singing and preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And this story, I wrote to them before coming here. They said, we are documenting this story so you can share this without any fear. Signs and wonders, there was a church was persecuted, and in the midst of persecution, we are beginning to see signs and wonders. I wouldn't go after signs and wonders, but I would say this, when the gospel is preached to those who are unreached, God attests the preaching of the word with signs and wonders and miracles. One day I was preaching in our church, and suddenly the door opened, and I could see them holding a young man. And they're bringing this guy, middle of the service, and about 10, 15 guys holding this chap. And they come up to me and said, I'm preaching. Out me and said, Pastor, this boy is demon-possessed. I said, how do you know? He said, this guy screams and shouts and runs all over in the night. He takes his clothes off. He cuts himself. And finally, we find him 
in a place where human beings are buried, the dead are buried. Then they said interesting thing. They said, Pastor, we heard about your God. And if your God can redeem this boy, our whole village will become Christians. Wow, what a challenge. <laughs> and so I stopped the service. And I stopped the service and I called the elders and I said, we have a challenge, we're going to take it on. But ladies and gentlemen, it is amazing that the authority that God has given us. We are not ordinary Christians. The spirit of the living God lives within us. The glory of God is around us. We are the children of God, empowered for the purpose of building his kingdom. And I go there, and I lay hands and I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. This boy screams and screams, becomes violent, and the spirit is gone. I told this family, we are going to keep this boy for two weeks with us because I knew that I need to teach him to read the word and I knew I need to teach him to pray because when one spirit leaves, he'll go and try to bring seven more. So we taught him to pray. We taught him to read the Bible. After two weeks, we sent him home. He goes home, ladies and gentlemen, and something unique happens. He says, as he went home, he began to sense the spirit coming back for him. For, for Asians like us, sensing is a very important part of who we are. He began to sense that the spirit was coming, so he ran to the kitchen. They used a normal fireplace, took some ash, came running to the living hall, to the room. He slept on the ground with the ash, marked the sign of the cross on the chest, and he told the spirit, you can't touch me now. Ladies and gentlemen, there is power in the in the gospel, it happens. And I'm sharing this because this is happening around the world. In many parts of the world, this is happening. There is persecution. There is growth. There is signs and wonders. And people who have been scattered are beginning to share Christ in the places that they have got scattered. It is the largest mission force today have become the people who have been scattered from their own nations. That is the largest mission force today. And some of the countries that are welcoming them are becoming people who are welcoming and inviting them into the kingdom of God. On one hand, there is persecution, there is the scattering, and the scattering is a divine activity of God. Signs and wonders and miracles are taking place. I want to conclude now. I need to tell you this, I love your country, and I do not mean to offend you. But neither am I going to not say what I feel the Lord wants me to share with you. So with deep humility, can I share a few concerns?
I think it is important for us to recognize that God is at work. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the persecution, with everything that is happening, as a believer, you and I believe that God is seated on the throne. He is fulfilling his purposes. He fulfilled his purposes in the book of Acts. He is fulfilling his purposes in our own lives. Sometimes we do not know why we go through some difficult moments. My wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer four years ago. And I asked the question, Lord, why? I followed you from my young days. I preached for my young days. No matter, no matter how much I asked the question why, I never found an answer. But I know that he's on the throne. He healed her. She's now living and active, ministering with me. God is sovereign. No matter what you go through, I don't know what you're going through, my dear brother, my dear sister, but God is sovereign. He has his purposes. And as believers, we believe him by faith. We commit ourselves by saying, Lord, you are sovereign. I don't understand everything, but you have a purpose. God is fulfilling his purposes in this country at this particular time. And God is fulfilling his purposes around the world. So we, we respond by recognizing that he is Lord. Secondly, you are, a you are a very powerful nation. You have a strong economy. You are one of the largest and the most powerful military on this earth. You know how to fix things. You know how to get things done. But God is looking for a humble community that will sit at his feet and partner with him to see the salvation of our nations. God is looking for people who will humble themselves at the feet of the Lord. It is not the might. It is not our economy. It is not anything within us that will get the job done. But it is the humble men and women who will sit at his feet that is why God told Gideon, you have too many people. I don't want so many people. That is why a man like Hudson Taylor said, Lord, before the sun rises over this nation, China, I will sit at your feet and I will plead for the salvation of this nation. Perhaps it is the prayers of Hudson Taylor that God is answering today with the revival that is going on in China. It is not our might. Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I live in a pre-Christian country. We are, uh, we are not Christians. You know, in fact, the largest number of 
non-believers, unrich people live in Asia. We are a pre-Christian society. Let me say something without offending you. But I seem to think that the West is becoming a post-Christian nation. We are dealing with pre-Christian, there is hostility. There is a post-Christian community that is questioning our faith. And there is a liberal agenda against the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to minister in the 21st century to a pre-Christian community and a post-Christian community. And insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. I believe we are called to really rethink sharing of the gospel. And I'll be talking about that this evening. The gospel hasn't changed. Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. But our audience have changed. A pre-Christian community and a post-Christian community. It calls us together to come together to prayerfully look at how do we get this job done because people are moving to a Christless eternity. I cannot rest. I need to stop the tide of destruction. I think I have a few more minutes. This is something that I learned from my son. Can I do that with you? Would you stand with me, please, if you don't mind? Sorry if I'm interrupting your traditions and culture here. I'm a strange guy from a strange planet. <laughs> and I know it's okay because I will leave here soon. And of course, Reverend John will have to face the music. <laughs> Would you just stretch your index finger? Shall we start tapping it, please? All of us are doing that, right? But not much noise. That's what happens in the Christian world. Some churches are trying to make a difference all by themselves. But it doesn't happen much. There is noise, but not. Let's make it four. We are beginning to hear. Denominations come together and say, we want to make a difference. But we don't make much of a difference. Let's make it three. Four. We are beginning to hear that. Let's put our hands together. This is what happens when the community of, of God comes together, when we are willing to overlook our cultural differences and barriers, when we are willing to say, here is the community of God, the church of God that is in Sri Lanka in partnership with the church of God in the United States, when the church of the United States in partnership with the Middle East, and that's exactly what you guys do here. I was thrilled to see all the people walking across. And this is my prayer. We are the church of God. God has empowered us to make a difference. And sometimes we have allowed our denominational barriers, our prejudices, 
our theological instincts to separate us. But there is a, a community that is perishing. There is a community that is moving to a Christless eternity. It is only you and I who can make the difference. It's only you and I. He's not going to send the angels, ladies and gentlemen. It's you. You have been empowered to make a difference. You are a son and a daughter of God. You are a child of God and the glory of God rests in you. Not just to spend your life with trivial things, but to make a difference in the world. Millions are moving to a Christless eternity. But God has empowered us to make the difference. May God bless you as you spend the next few days listening to missionaries from your church, but more than that, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit that will prompt you to do the impossible. God bless you.